0: Feel so young You make me feel like spring has sp-
1: are some really awesome guests.
2: Um, Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm I'm uh, Kurt McKinnon on Tumblr.
3: I'm Bethany. I'm Invisible Raven on Tumblr and anywhere else you care to look for me.
4: And I'm Carmen. I'm uh, Clainship2 on Tumblr and I'm just Clainship on the archive. All
1: right. Well, welcome back, guys. Um, Today we're, we're talking about Bash and Bash is such an interesting episode in that like it's not it's definitely not the major clay stuff but there is a lot of really good curtain Blaine stuff in it and um it's kind of a strange episode. I think it's um it just is paced very interestingly and I guess we'll we'll go through that as we talk about it. But um but yeah. Um let's open up with they are singing um no one is alone. Um, I forgot what from Sign- what Zahnheim musical. Into is. the woods. Into the woods. Into the woods. Yeah. Into the woods. Yep. And um, they're doing this candlelight vigil for this guy who is gay bash, so we don't know that until later. And uh, it's an interesting thing. I, I guess I want to hear what you guys think about this whole like candlelight vigil that they're doing for somebody that I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts?
3: First of all, I want to say that Kurt singing in his lower register is yummy. Mm
4: -hmm. Yes. (laughs) That's my first note on my page.
3: Like his lower register song is beautiful. So I'm like, yum.
4: It's the same, yeah.
3: But I I think someone said somewhere, and it might have been you, Pam, that originally this person, or you thought this person was supposed to have died and that they changed it because this whole episode is kind of framed around, oh, he was supposed to have died and like, doesn't make, I guess, make sense to me that they're having a vigil and then they go back to the vigil later on at the end of the episode when he's in the hospital and he's alive and he is confirmed to be woken up and everything at the end of the episode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wish I had a source from where I heard that because I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look through all of the stuff when the episode came out, but I You know, we never did get any scripts for the New York arc, which I think is a shame, because I think there are questions that I I would like to ask for a bunch of these episodes, and that's one of them. Because, yeah, the framing of this episode would have made a little bit more sense had the guy passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if it's one of the networks. The network said, nope, you can't have him die, or something.
4: And and also, Blaine's... um, Little um, question to Kurt in the end when when they go to the to the place with the flowers again when he asks Kurt are you okay with it uh, do you are you sure you want to do this this may would make much more sense either uh, if if the guy would be there because why should Kurt have a problem to go there
3: yeah if, or if they had gone to visit him in the hospital even that question
4: yeah, would make yeah sense. yeah so that question always came a bit you know, I, I I could never place why why he asked this question. Are you okay with it? Because why wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: yeah. Well and what do you guys think of the, the song itself as the opening of the episode? I mean I understand from a standpoint that, you know, you have this group of four people and you know it's not even Mercedes and Ernie aren't even around in this. So it's just these four people who are singing about, you know, not being alone and I, I understand, like, even, you know, for Kurt and Blaine and for even Rachel, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense for them to, these are all characters who have been alone and on their own track for a long time. Um, for Sam, it's a little different. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, maybe they just wanted a fourth vocally, maybe, I don't know, and why aren't Mercedes mm. and Artie there? It just, it's an interesting combination.
3: yeah. Well, before they said it was a neighbor, like, I thought maybe he was a Niata student, and that would make sense for Rachel Blaine and Kurt to be there, but then they're like, no, it's our neighbor's friend, and so then it doesn't even make sense, really. I guess Although gonna... I think the picture of the guy they're using is a stand-in for Chris and or Darren, I'm not sure. I think oh, he's yeah. actually stand-in yeah. for the show, and they used his picture, Yeah, but I, I'm not so sure. No, yeah, I, I remember right. doing that.
1: Yeah. Um... Yeah, they I wish it now that I kind of wish it was a another neata student and I think that would have given it a little bit more weight too to have it kind of a random guy well I mean you can make a story about it being random and how the characters you know feel connected to a random person but I don't I
4: don't know anyway but 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 if, you, if it was a friend uh, a friend of the neighbor maybe they knew him if mm. not really you know really well but but just seeing him and and maybe talk to him. And uh, Blaine, Sam, and Kurt, and Rachel, they all live together, so they might have met him at one point. That's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: And then we never hear about him again. (laughs) Of
1: course. (laughs) Because it doesn't really matter in the long run. Um, It's kind of an excuse for them to sing a Sondheim song, which they do all sound wonderful on and I I, I agree it's a really great song it's really great with the four harmony and I don't know I think it's you know in this the the scene itself is actually a really nice and really beautiful scene um but I kind of feel like it makes it 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 works better almost out of context than in context I mean it's nice to listen to it's nice to look at but Mm. uh, trying to think about it too much it kind of like eh. yeah not as I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so going on, uh, we have we kind of start out the narrative of this story, um, with it Rachel being in a meeting with her producer, and I we mentioned this in the previous episode that for some reason the director of Funny Girl, the guy, the actor, I know he's a more famous actor, and that's probably why he didn't come back. But he, they don't, you don't see him again. It's always this producer guy now. Hmm. Um, and he is talking to Rachel and the rest of the, the company, talking about, you know, how this has to be the best. And Rachel finds that she has a scheduling conflict, and she's trying to work around it, and et cetera, et cetera. And this kind of kicks off her story in the episode about her having to choose between Broadway and Niata.
2: You know, I was thinking, like, you know that you think that, like, Niata would want a performing arts school, it would like, jump at the chance to have a student on Broadway. They would love to advertise that. They could
3: mm-hmm.
2: – think they would really support that. But, I mean, I also understand their perspective, too, but
3: – You think they would let her defer the semester? Or when yeah. I was watching this thing, the thing that Niada needs – despite the fact it's a total scam school for witches. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it needs, like, academic advisors because – if it had an academic advisor, somebody could have gone to Rachel. Now, she probably wouldn't have listened and, like, no, I can do it all. But somebody could have gone to her and said, like, look, you need to either take the semester off or reduce your course load because you're failing everything as is or you need to give up the show. Like, you can't be doing yeah. both.
1: Well, and, right. you know, um, it's kind of funny because on the one hand, I think that um, there's an interesting story there with Rachel and her not listening. And the way this does eventually blow up in her face later on in the New York arc with her getting that TV show I I think there's a really great story there. However, this kind of false dichotomy between school versus, you know, your actual career. I mean, later on, and I may talk about this a little more later when we talk about Kurt and Rachel, but you have, you know, Leah, Michelle, and Chris Colfer both having this conversation where they are two people who didn't go to college and are just fine. So, I mean, as, you know, I went to college. I'm an advocate of getting education, but at the same time, the performing arts is not an either or, it's something that you can do right. and there's, so this whole conversation about whether she should be in school for being in school's sake or not rings a little falsely at times but mm. for Rachel being reckless with her choices, I do think that's a, a good story arc for the character to go because she is finally going to get some repercussions for those choices
3: Yeah, I have lots of thoughts about it but I'm going to bring it up later when the, she has the scene in Carmen's office Okay Sounds great,
1: sounds great Um, Okay, so then we get into Sam and Mercedes, and Sam and Mercedes actually takes up a big chunk of the first half of the episode, Um, and I actually like the scene, it's where Sam is watching Facts of Life. Love that. Yeah. and Totally got
3: turned out to that by Kurt, you know he did.
1: (laughs) Well, exactly, because Kurt was watching it last season, Um, and I love that he mentions that he thinks it's a redhead lady who runs a school for lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, But anyway, so Mercedes comes in, and she's watching, and so I like that Sam's really blunt about it, that he's like, hey, you know, there's this chemistry here, you know, and Mercedes is like, well, you've dated all these other girls, and Sam's like, yeah, but I think there's something here with us, and I want to try, and then they make out on the couch, and it's really Mm -hmm.
2: cute. Is this the scene where he, um, when he talks about Blaine reading him fan fiction? Yes, yes. Yes. I love that, that they talked about fan fiction on the show.
4: (laughs) I love that, too. Sorry, go ahead. And I love Blaine's impression of (laughs) C-3PO. Yes. When he he reads. So he's not just reading, he's acting it out also. So this is the nerdy.
2: Yeah, I love that. Oh, George Lucas wrote this.
1: Yes, I love that. He's like, oh, this was actually written by George Lucas because it was so bad. (laughs) But, yeah, aren't, I think that's also they were shot that at the loft, they were still at the loft at that, that little, like, yeah. flashback, but, but yeah, I, you know, there's not a lot of blam in, in the New York arc, but it's really nice when they get these little moments to show that they're really connecting still, even if it's not on screen, 100%, so. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on Sam and Mercedes, before I get into their, the
3: Well, first she's like, Mercedes, like, I broke up with you so I could find myself or something like that. And like, no, first you were dating and then he moved away. And then you were with Shane and you didn't want to be a cheater. So you broke up with the both of them. It was nothing to do with you finding yourself at all. I don't believe that's me trying to remember season three because I didn't care enough to go back and rewatch it. But uh, I... I liked the storyline. It just felt like it didn't fit into this episode because they already had the heavy storyline of the gay bashing and the stupid storyline with Rachel, which we'll get into. It just felt like it was kind of shoved in because they didn't have anywhere else to put it. And it felt out of place in this episode, despite how well done it was.
1: Well, and it's kind of interesting. I'm going to shout out to um, Lima Heights Heights Adjacent Podcast, which um, was a podcast during when the show was airing. Mm -hmm. And something they mentioned is they felt like they had two different scripts for episodes and they were stapled together. Like they had this idea for an episode with Rachel and, sorry, Mercedes and Sam, and then this other idea with the gay bashing. And I'm guessing when they had to narrow down their, um, they they lost two episodes in the season because of of Corey passing and pushing production back. So I'm wondering if these were seeds of two different episodes that kind of got smushed (laughs) together. Um, Yeah. Which, yeah, makes sense to me.
3: It, it also might explain why Mercedes does not get to sing any Sondheim in the Sondheim Tribute episode. Like yeah. she, she nails both the songs that she gets. She sounds great. But I'm like, Mercedes can sing Sondheim. And I'm sure there's Sondheim songs that they could fit into this episode that would fit the narrative they're going for. Yes. That they decided to do another natural woman. And then I think an original song that either they wrote for Amber or Amber wrote herself or something like that. But, like, she sounds great, but it's just, like, it seems really out of place when you're doing a Sondheim tribute episode to have her do the only non-Sondheim songs.
1: I'm kind of surprised they yeah. didn't um, have her do Sondheim stuff, since, especially since this was billed as a Sondheim episode. Hmm. I can understand. I think that the song, the, the second song, um, it was something that Amber was an Amber original song so I can understand them wanting to showcase that but yeah, yeah, yeah no
3: nothing against the songs it just didn't fit in the Sondheim episode
1: yep oh I also wanted to do a, a quick shout on this shout out on this scene um when Mercedes is going through the list of all of his other you know pre- former girlfriends they actually mentioned Penny we haven't heard <sighs> about Penny since episode four maybe so, um, oh, yeah. yeah, like we're all like, oh, yeah, nurse Penny was a thing for like a hot second, but
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she kind of but went that, away. So, I was wondering why why Mercedes says he kind of dated Rachel. Did I forget something? Or no, in episode, he said
2: she, that Rachel was the only one that he hadn't dated yet, yeah, but she says there was. Uh, wait
3: she said like kind of Rachel or something kind
2: of, yeah. remember um, they all went to prom together Sam Mercedes and Rachel oh well, I think uh,
4: maybe maybe because of that yes that could be
1: well I was thinking it was also in um, episode six moving out of the season they have that little flirtation because um, they mm-hmm. have that storyline where Rachel's helping Sam get a modeling
4: interview yeah mm-hmm. because and she says almost almost Rachel that's what she said. Yeah. Quin with almost Rachel and nurse uh-huh. Penny. yeah
1: so I think it was just like a, a nod to that flirtatious moment at the end of episode six um but yeah
4: and I wonder if, if Blaine was the one who told her about Sam making out with Tina because how how I'm could sure you know that?
1: Tina
2: I'm sure Blaine and Kurt talked and told Mercedes
1: yeah but I'm also sure Tina was like... Tina. Sure, yeah, Tina likes to gossip so I would yeah. be surprised, wouldn't be surprised if Tina was the one that said to them oh yeah that's right I'm, I made out with Sam alright so we get our first um, Monday night dinner that we actually get to see um, and this is kind of uh, you know it's kind of fun to see them all as a group um, but we also get a lot of exposition here this is where we get the information that Um, the, it was a neighbor's friend that was gay bashed and then they discussed, I don't know how, I'm sure they looked at the stats on this, but that even though hate crimes are going down in New York, they're going up and that people don't like that, you know, more and more members of the LGBT community are moving into New York and taking over the city, I guess. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't know what the... Yeah, I don't know what the exact stats on those and where they got that from. I didn't look it up. It'll make sense, I guess.
1: I don't know. Um, I think Mm -hmm. it's more of they wanted to preface... You know, they want to have the whole bashing aspect there to make you aware that, you know, these statistics as Kurt's going to go into this. Though part of me kind of wishes that the episode may have, you know... Had this episode started with Kurt getting bashed, I don't know. I think it would have been a vastly different episode, but maybe I don't know. I feel like there's a lot maybe. of treading water until we get to that point.
4: Maybe then then if, if they had started earlier with the with the bashing and everything that comes after that, maybe there would have been time to add a bit more of blame to it because mm-hmm. um, it always it it feels strange to me that if you if you compare Blaine's reaction to the whole thing and Kurt's reaction, Kurt always, uh, starting at the vigil, he, Kurt seems to just barely hold back his tears while Blaine uh, in this loft scene kind of, I, I think it, it comes over kind of, almost kind of casually, uh, talks about um, crime rates going up and yes, he was... Um, there were these guys and jumped out of the car. So it's kind of casually talking to to the others and explaining what happened, while while Kurt seems really affected by the whole thing, while Blaine is the one who has experienced a gay bashing before, and not Kurt. So this always doesn't sit right with me if I look at it. I think if you know what I mean, if if it makes sense, what I'm saying.
1: Oh yeah. Um. What well, I was just gonna say. I think I read Blaine is a little bit more of anger in his, you know, commentary. Yeah. It yeah. So I think it's it's more of just like frustration that you know he's finally in a place that you know is more accepting of who he is, but this stuff is still happening. And why does this stuff keep happening when you know we're supposed to be moving beyond it? So. Hmm. Um. I also want to, like, point out that at the beginning of the scene, Kurt and Blaine are both behind the curtain in Kurt's bedroom. Kurt's actually laying on the bed, but you can't tell where Blaine is. But um, just connecting it to the previous episode where Blaine moved out, but even in this episode, Blaine is still at the loft quite a bit.
3: So, I have yeah. a feeling Blaine still has his key. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, definitely. I'm sure you know, Blaine still effect. has a toothbrush over there.
4: Oh, I'm sure. And a set of pajamas.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Um, there was... They also talk about... Because Kurt's like, this is getting depressing. They also talk about the fact that it's Sondheim week. And um, this is where Sam and Mercedes are playing footsie under the table. <laughs> okay. So, um, then we move on to... This scene where they're on the docks, I don't know exactly where this yeah. location is, but um, they are walking, and Sam's trying to convince Mercedes to date him. And one of my funny, favorite, funny little bits of this episode is when Sam decides to throw all of his money to make a wish into the Hudson, And this lady's like, "You can't just throw things." Yes.
2: You could tell she's that kind of lady that always has to speak to the manager. <laughs> yeah. We mind your own business, lady. (laughs) You can't do that.
1: And where is she when he throws her coat in there? (laughs) Yeah. Her coat in there.
3: (laughs) Oh, man. She's Uh, off to Harbor Authority reporting him for throwing money in the Hudson. Yeah, she's like one of those people (laughs) that. And then throwing the rest of his money at her. Yeah. Because he tosses his money towards her. (laughs) Although, I could have done without Sam going, like, on his whole fur is murder crap. Yeah, like, Mercedes five. 19, how is she going to afford a real fur coat, Sam? Put your head on your
1: shoulders. Come on now. Oh, Sam's <laughs> extra dumb this entire episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we'll talk more about that when we talk about the dinner stuff, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know. He just feels a little bit... Sam was never the brightest bulb in the box, <laughs> but this episode, he, he just... I don't know. Cringe. <laughs> Full of cringe. <laughs> um, but Yeah. So, uh, oh, I also want to point out really quickly, just because it was a thing that was brought up in the previous episode, but Sam explicitly states that it's 2014, so as of right now, we are in the early months of 2014. Ah, okay. I'm throwing that out there. Um, so, yeah, when you guys go back and listen to the new New York podcast, we get in a huge debate about it.
2: <laughs> so, oh,
1: really? Yeah, but... Um, but, yeah, so uh, Mercedes says that she just needs some time to think it over um, alone, which is understandable. But then mm. I, I like that she kind of just gets them out of there so she can sing her feelings, and she sings Natural Woman. Mm. Okay. Any, do you guys have any thoughts on the Sam or Mercedes stuff?
4: Uh, the thing that I had written down in my notes was that I like the way how confident Sam is about their relationship working out in the end so if he, if you compare it to Blaine who is, who was also always um convinced that he and Kurt belong together Blaine was much more desperate about the the relationship working out and he, he coming together with with, Sam, uh, with with Kurt while Sam is really you know like okay, you can take your time. I'm sure we will get together in the end. So he's really confident and calm about the whole thing. And that's something that stood out to me. So in yeah. compared to Blaine. That's a good point. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I always also, or something that kind of stuck out to me when I was rewatching this episode. Do you guys think uh, Sam as a character, he feels better when he's got a girlfriend? He does
2: seem like someone who always has to have a girlfriend. Like, even from, like, the very beginning when he's on season two, he immediately, like, proposed or pre-proposed to Quinn. Mm -hmm. He seems like a huge romantic who has to, Mm -hmm. who always has to be with someone.
1: Yeah, I just, um, I'm not um, criticizing or downplaying the, the, Sam and Mercedes' relationship, it's my favorite Sam relationship. I just yeah. was also just like, oh, I mean, I think that he feels better when he is in a relationship. But I wonder if it's also part of, like, Sam isn't really the leader type. He likes, you know... Yeah. Not being in control.
4: Yeah. <laughs> no he just likes making people feel good. Mm-hmm. It's a bit in a way like Blaine, but but not... In that desperate way. Yeah. So he's just a kind guy, and he lives it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sam seems to do better, like after the relationship, too. He seems to handle like breaking up, and because he's been through so many breakups, he's like, he's not a, like he seems to handle it okay. He's so he's okay with the idea of someone. He's not, you know, he he does okay with the, with that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense.
3: Yeah, especially compared to Mercedes, who's a bit more, I guess, rational and guarded about the whole thing. She's like, nah, I got to think about it and I don't want to get hurt. And like you stayed on the couch, even though like, why is he on the couch? Shouldn't he have a room or be sharing a plane or something? But whatever. <laughs> She's like really trying to be, I guess, a, more adult than she is about it. And then whereas Sam is kind of like not thinking about the consequences or he doesn't think he's going to get hurt if they don't work out whereas Mercedes knows Mm -hmm. if they don't work out she's going to be devastated so I think she's being a bit more rational whereas he's being a bit more like you know he's living in the here and now I want to be with you let's give it a try kind of thing
1: yep they're
2: good for each other in that way they could they both kind of balance each other yeah yep
1: yep I agree I agree Um, So, yeah, and then we get Mercedes singing Natural Woman, which is a good song for her. She does well. Um, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I guess Rachel has her own issues, because they... Sam will eventually talk to Blaine a little bit about it. Well, uh, well, I guess Mercedes... Oh, you know what? Mercedes has her other girlfriends here. I forgot. Because we're going to talk about that next. Mercedes has her backup singers, who are also her good friends in New York, which is... You know, I'm going to throw this out there. I think it is kind of cool that they do this because so often it's like the Friends thing, like the TV show Friends, where they just had six friends, but then they throw a party and there's like 900 people there. And you're like, where did those people all come from? Um, But showing Mercedes actually has other friends, I think is important and good. Yes.
3: Do we see them again after this though? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But they're there. I don't know. Are they there?
3: Unless like we see them in like, when we're showing Mercedes doing her mall tour or something like that, but I can't remember that scene as much as anything.
1: No, I can't remember it either. Um, I'll pay as close attention when we get to it on the podcast though. Um, but yeah, so she's there with, you know, um, her two other friends and, um, Sam comes along and, oh goodness. I just have Sam
2: fringe as my, as my notes.
1: Yeah. Just
2: so hard.
1: Like, how – it, it's so awkward and so – Oh, I I mean, they're – yeah, even, like, asking them about their hair is just so inappropriate. Oh, and their names and – Oh, my God. And I'm – you know, if I was Mercedes' friend, totally would have been, like, yeah, no, this guy doesn't know. <laughs> like, their reaction later on makes complete sense because – and they're even nice about it. They don't have to put up with that kind of stuff, I think – yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, and I was just gonna say, like, I don't, I didn't, like, I didn't really feel comfortable, like, commenting on, like, the perspective of them, you know, as Black women. You know, I'm mm-hmm. extremely white, so you know, I don't feel like I can, like, properly comment on, you know, issues, you know, within, say, the Black community or something. Right. So I, didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to get too too much into that personally. Um, just. A,
1: Okay, I felt like no.
2: overstepping.
1: Yeah, no, I don't want to, I completely agree. I was just going to mention that this is, like, an issue, but I'm not going to, like, I, again, I'm white, and I don't think that it's my place to comment on how anybody should or should not be reacting. That's why when, you know, Mercedes brings up later on, you know, I'm black, and this isn't a real thing, okay, I take that at, you know, face mm-hmm. value this is a thing in the black community. It is not my place to comment on how she should be feeling. So Yeah. And I, but
2: I don't how I feel like the episode kind of made it. I'm sorry someone else talking. Uh, well, I, I, I felt like I didn't, I didn't like how the episode kind of made the, the black woman look, look like the bad guys.
1: Yeah. Like they were the intolerant ones. I agree. Especially, but yeah, I think that um, they at least went out of their way to make, show that Sam was acting really, really badly though. Yeah. But yeah, don't, but yeah, it's just awkward. And.
2: Oh, oh also it, I, I made a note. Um, they made a bill, a Bill Cosby joke and I'm like, that did not age well.
1: Oh gosh. That's true.
2: Cause this was early 2014 and that that's didn't come out until later. Yep. I'm like, Oh yeah. Some jokes don't age very well. <laughs>
1: But, I, you know what, let me do a shout out to, if anybody um, would like to comment on this, um, please feel free to send in your, your thoughts so that we can share them. So.
3: Yeah, because, like, y- you know that it is unfortunately, they, they are probably very right saying, like, you're going to be judged by the black community if you're dating a white person. But it's also bringing up that stick to your own kind vibe from, like, the 1950s. When you weren't even allowed to having a relationship with someone whose race was different than yours, and it it all just feels very very icky, I guess. Yeah. And I get where they are coming from, despite the fact I'm a very 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 white person. I get where they're coming from, and that probably is a very real mindset that they have to live with every day. But it it's also like they shouldn't have to, I guess. I don't know. I'm sorry if I'm coming I off. I don't a really feel like the two situations. I'm sorry. Um,
2: well, I don't feel like the, um, the two, like the two are the same. Like they it sort of made it look like, well, you know, me not dating you cause you're white is the same as someone not is the same as racism. And it, it's not like I can understand, like, I can understand why, you know, a black person wouldn't trust a white person, but it's, it's, and that's different from, from, you know, from a white person who's racist, that mm. that's, that's my understanding anyway.
1: No, I agree with that, actually. It made
2: it look like I was the same. You know, both sides are the same. I hate that.
1: Yeah, like, no, they were, they were trying to equate, you know, me really taking in consideration the fact that, you know, we are different races, um, equating that to, like, homophobia. Like, I won't be your friend because you're that's gay. Not that's so that's not the same thing. Oh my um, God! And I'm kind of surprised Amber didn't say anything, but you know, but the yeah. Men, yeah. they're not in that commu- like again, like I don't want to talk for any um, person of color or black person or whoever. Like I'm not, I'm white. I don't have, you know, the final say on how anybody should feel about that. So
2: yeah, the writer was Ian um, Brennan, another white person. I'm pretty sure all I think all of the writers or most of the writers are.
1: Yeah. There, yeah. Uh,
2: Ian's not really the most sensitive of the, of the writers.
1: So, um,
2: oh,
1: it was Ian, Ian Brennan. Yeah, Ian. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> not <it> be <became> <laughs>
2: offensive.
1: Ian is probably the my, he is the weakest writer out of uh, the RIB, uh, definitely. So, well, yeah. Okay, so uh, kind of moving on though. Um, uh. Can uh, I
4: just add one okay, thing? Go ahead. So, completely changing topic, but did anyone realize that this restaurant and this table and this space where they're sitting is the very same place and restaurant and table where the fighting scene between Kurt and Blaine takes place in season six is with it? a plastic curtain in the background? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I checked well, it today. I- Wow, oh, there's that that see-through that. plastic curtain in the background, and it's the oh, same that railing, and it's the very same table. Oh my
1: gosh, Glee! That is. Well, funny. The next
2: time I go to New York, I'm gonna have to go
4: there. It's not a good restaurant to go.
1: <laughs> okay. No, no, don't go to that restaurant. I I also think it's kind of Glee's um, production value. You know, it's amazing because, the, like, they they were definitely reducing reusing sets because and stuff like that, but probably because they spent so much money going to New York and filming in New York. I mean, the next scene that we're going to talk about is in, um, oh, I forgot what the hall is called, Disney Concert Hall? Um, the big round Yeah, the big round thing. Yeah.
2: I think uh, it's was
1: it the Disney Concert Hall.
2: I remember the, that hall from the, um, the first episode of season four. Yeah.
1: Um, I'll look it up while we're talking. Anyway, so let's talk about, um, let's talk about, uh, Broadway Baby. We get this duet between Blaine and Rachel where they're singing the Sondheim song for their, um, for their
4: midwinter
1: critique. Yeah. So what do you guys think about this one?
2: I
3: like you the th- Angry Twins. You would think though that somebody would have set the parameters ahead of time say like you have to do this individually or Kurt would have said you should probably not do this but then again neither one of them Yeah. Reason, so it's a good song and they did a good job but knowing how it's going to go I'm just like oh no sweethearts no please stop. Yeah, I can't believe that they wouldn't fall at
2: least Blake would not follow the assignment.
3: And Carmen's they're glaring at them the whole time like that glare can stop a clock. I would have yeah. stopped seeing that woman stare at me like that.
1: Well, so. I think I, they were too much into it to really notice. Yeah, true.
4: Looking. Yeah. Um, I so maybe, oh, go ahead. maybe just wasn't uh perfectly clear when when she told them the assignment because even even Kurt doesn't seem to be surprised when when Blaine. Uh, joins into the song so he must have known that they are doing a duet and even in the loft scene in the beginning blaine is the one who said oh we should do a duet when they mentioned sometimes so it Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to me that it was perfectly clear that they are not allowed to do a duet they should do it individually so maybe carmen should think her teaching methods over or i don't know maybe she was just you know not very clear about what she wants
1: well, maybe there wasn't, you know, because she, she says at the end of this, I specifically said this needed to be a solo, but I could see them just being really excited, like, um, like, oh, hey, we can do this song together, and you know what? Nobody's going to care. But, you know, it's one of those things, again, why are they even having this critique? Oh, I guess, sorry, I just realized as I was saying that, that when I was in college and I was in the clarinet studio, Um, it was everybody of all levels of, of study who, and we would all get up there and individually and do a song. So I guess it doesn't matter what grade quote unquote each of them are in. Um, but still, yeah, like, yeah, I don't know scam school for witches scam school for witches and now as a song though this is so much fun this is so yeah it is oh my goodness it's them at their best it's you can tell leah and darren just have a blast like singing with each other because this just pops and comes alive and you know i'm glad i'm glad that she said carmen thibodeau said at the end of this you know i'm gonna let you do it again because it was a good performance so she, the, her real issue is just the following directions issue of it, um, but yeah, I like at the end Blaine is so like devastated in a way. He's just like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and and you know he will go and do the the assignment right, whereas Rachel just Rachel rolls her eyes and. Oh my God! This, I a shout out to Leah's acting though, because it makes her look like a petulant teenager when she does that, mm-hmm. which pretty much is happening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Um, Blaine's. Just, how many second chances has she been given?
4: Exactly. Oh, Carmen, what were you saying about Blaine? I just want to say that Blaine's just happy that you've got another chance, and 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 wasn't been hasn't been flunked by by Carmen. Yeah. So that's. His only relief and that's why he says, Come be quiet, come on. Let's go. So he takes Rachel's arm and, and leads her away from Carmen before she can make her change her mind. Mm-hmm. Probably.
1: Oh. Um, fun fact it was it is the Walt Disney concert hall in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, also used in the film Iron Man One. That's what my oh. little text tells me. <laughs> I guess. They do a, a little dance scene in here there. But anyway. So, yeah, it's the Walt Disney Concert Hall in L.A. But, mm. yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's, it's interesting. Kurt is back there. He is watching the two of them. It, it never – because I try to pay, like, close attention, and he's, like – he's supportive at the very first, and then you, you don't really see him. He's a little bit shocked when Carmen originally, like, chews them out. But you don't really get any kind of other reaction from him back there. So mm. yeah. Um, so then it moves in to the conversation Carmen Thibodeau and Rachel have in Carmen's office. Bethany, go. Yeah. <laughs> uh I think I should probably
3: let everybody else go, because mine is gonna take a while.
1: So go ahead. I give you the <laughs> <Okay>. floor. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, go for it.
3: Okay. So I agree with Carmen Thibodeau wholeheartedly yeah, that Me Rachel too. is talented. She has drive, but she has no discipline. She herself has admitted her dance skills are not up to par and Broadway. You need to have dance skills for pretty much every show. Mm-hmm. So unless she's going to independently take a dance class, she should be doing this. And I think, my first thought was, like, is she still in McKinley mode where she saw everybody could still do extracurriculars without having good grades? Because Sue and uh, Figgins were like, oh, the football team and the Cheerios bring in the money, so we don't care if they flunk? Like, is that the mindset she's in? Or does she seriously not know she's failing all her classes?
2: But Your first year of college, she's just – I mean, in my first year of college, I ended up on academic probation because I wasn't really – now, I wasn't really doing very well in my classes, but you know, after that, you know, as soon as I found that out, I buckled down and got to work. But she doesn't. But, it. <laughs> but, it's, but you know, the, it's easy to do that in your first year, I guess.
3: Yeah, no, I, I do agree, but this is so your second year. Second year. year. This yes. is her second year. It's plain... Oh yeah, team. it is. You're right. Never this mind. This is her sophomore year, so she should know better by now. But she's already been told she's overextending herself by her producer, by Carmen, and then Carmen should have at this point said like. I've already made exceptions for you. I've already gone out of my way. So you don't deserve any more exceptions or anything like that because you don't have the discipline and you care more about being a star than you care about putting in the work and being a thing. Because after Fanny is done and she's not going to play Fanny for the rest of her life and Rachel should hopefully know that she might not luck out and get another leading role. She might go right back and be in the chorus if she's lucky. So she needs to have like something to help her have that discipline because right now all she cares about is being, she's focused on here and then now and Mm -hmm. what, and like she quits and then like, that's her tuition money down the drain. They're not going to refund her because she dropped out and that, well, it's not her money. It's her dad's money really, because I still don't think she's paying for school, to, no. despite the fact no. she's working at the diner and I'm sure they're paying her to be Fanny or they will pay her, but even so
1: I'm she's not paying. I'm sure she is not working at the diner anymore either, though.
3: Well, she says that she's working at the diner at the beginning of the episode to oh, Sydney that's right. She says, I balance doing my classes and working at the diner and being Fanny and, like, once I get this midwinter critique, I can be Fanny 100% or whatever, but what really gets me Is that Rachel stalked and harassed her way into this stupid school. Mm -hmm. And you guys know, if you've listened to me on this podcast before, how much that pissed me off. Yeah. And then she neglects her studies to be a star, essentially, because she's paying more attention to being famous than doing the work. And then in a couple episodes' time, I know I'm skipping ahead, but I'm getting it out now.
1: okay. Yeah, go for it.
3: She's going to realize, oh, yeah, being on Broadway is still a job. It's still tedious. It's still something you have to, kind. Of, it's, an, it's an adult job. And then she gets tired of that after, what, three weeks, goes and auditions for the terrible space TV show by auditioning with a Broadway, Barbra Streisand song or something. Then I think when she comes back, the producer, Funny Girl, tells her, if you pull that shit again, I'm going to blackball you. And then she goes and does her other show, for which she should have played blackballed, and if not, he would have said, like, you can't rely on her, and her name would have been dirt on Broadway for up and leaving, because I'm sure she didn't finish her contract Funny Girl, and then comes back and gets another chance in Niada without Carmen laughing at her face like he should have, and another chance to get on Broadway. Rachel gets handed opportunity after opportunity after t- opportunity, and she squanders them, and she never faces the consequences, and this... I hated her beforehand, but this show, this episode reminded me how much I really, really hate Rachel Berry and the writer's preference for her, and just, like, it aggravated her me so much, this whole Rachel on Broadway arc because they kept giving her chance after chance after chance. And she acted like a spoiled child and a diva. And she treats everybody horribly in this episode. And they all forgive her again and again and again. And she, yes, I know at the beginning of season six, she does face some consequences, but then they just keep giving it back to her because she gets another show on Broadway or she gets offered another show on Broadway. She gets offered a chance back at Miata. And this is going to sound really petulant to me, but it's not freaking fair. That she gets all this? No. Yes, she's talented. Yes, she has drive, but she has no discipline. She doesn't care about putting in the work. She doesn't care about anything but being a star. And Carmen is right to call her out on that. And I still don't think she learns that lesson that you need to put in the hard work. Because yes, there are some people who don't need to go to school. I am fine with them having that message. You don't need school. You don't need college. But Rachel does. She needs that discipline. And the chances of her becoming a big star because of Funny Girl... That doesn't really happen because she goes Into obscurity and Broadway's a very Niche market and then You know it's few And far between that you will succeed without some Sort of foundation that She is obviously lacking Her talent only get so far How do you really feel Get off the fence <laughs> <laughs> so I told you guys it would it would take a while.
1: <laughs> I know that's okay. No, I agree. I know, and I think we're I'm mostly. I'm not Rachel
3: Berry fan. I am sorry. I never have been, and I never will be. And this episode just really, really, really pissed me off. And I've forgotten how much it pissed me off. So I'm sorry. But, uh, no, I am mean, surprised that the
2: um I'm surprised that the producer of a Broadway show would, would let the star, would not make the star quit all her her other stuff? At, you know, um, ahead of time would, would actually let somebody you know, go to school and have another job at the same time as being a star of a show.
3: That's why I said that she should have deferred her semester. I think he would have insisted, like, no, you need to stop being in <clears> school. <throat> you need to stop like doing this job. And, although, I think he would have been like, yeah, I guess you can still work because you need to pay rent and you have to live in New York to do this show. Yeah, they they're, they're not
1: paying her up front for like, if you are contracted for a Broadway show... Aren't you getting paid to... I don't think you get
3: paid until the show opens, though, because then they'll know if it's going to earn money or not. Like, they might give you, a like, a per diem to, like, keep you on your feet while you're in tech and rehearsals, but they're not going to pay you nearly as much as they're going to do when the show opens. And right, they might
1: have but I do- Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and if... You know, I but-
2: also... Oh, i sorry, no. go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I, I was just going to say... Um, well, I, I mean, Rachel, I know, is a grown adult by this point. You know, she needs to make her own decisions. But at the same time, a lot of the people in her life has, have always kind of enabled her and given yep. her second and third chances, and kind of let her be be this way. Never really forced, made her become disciplined before. I mean, she's when they do show her like preparing for stuff, you know, in these montages, you know, during the first few seasons, you know, she does work hard in in, in a sense, but. At the same time, people have also kind of spoiled her. So, I, you know, I also put the blame on them.
1: Well, yeah, you can tell her dad. Mr. Schuster, calf. Yeah, Will and her dads have both enabled a lot of this behavior. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I think that, you know, there on the one hand, there is, you know, hmm, how do I put this? I take that back. Let me start over. I think that the show, you know, did a weird thing and not... I understand that they were trying to do this this narrative and they were trying to make conflict. I think in the real world, her schooling would have said, hey, we're going to let you to defer. You know, you do this thing. Uh, or the show would have been like, no, if you can't do this with our scheduling, you're gone. They wouldn't even have thought twice about it. If there's a scheduling conflict, they're going to find somebody else. That's not even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um And it's, but yeah, I think overall it's frustrating to watch Rachel go from, you know, go on a destructive path, really. I mean, you know, her whole season four arc was going on this destructive path. I mean, it just happened to be with her relationships because she and Brody were like you know, becoming mature adults and living together, and then there was that pregnancy scare, but then nothing came of it. And, like, the show keeps throwing these things at her, and while in season five I think it works and that she does have some consequences at the beginning of season six, you know, making her easily just get up on that horse again is frustrating to keep coming back to. It's nice Mm -hmm. when you have, like, Carmen Thibodeau actually explain exactly what the problem is. And Kurt will do it again and again. And you'll see other people throughout the show who actually do give her these speeches about what, you know, you know, that she lacks focus or that she lacks um, discipline and that she, you know, even Blaine later in season six will be like, um, when he makes that joke about she's like, oh, I I took piano lessons when I was a kid, but then I got bored. And he, Mm -hmm. you know, has a snarky remark about it. So the Mm -hmm. show is aware of it, but why they keep, giving her you know the the um uh, what's the word the, they keep giving her chances over and over again i'm not sure i'm not i think it was detrimental to rachel as a character unfortunately
3: yeah, they- another thing
1: is that like she knew when tech week
3: was she knew when her midwinter critique was why didn't she go to carmen ahead of time and say hey can i do my critique early so i don't interfere with tech week instead of Having to do this whole scheduling thing. Like responsible adult. I don't know. Like if you if you know you're going to have a conflict. You go and you you figure something out ahead of time.
2: hmm
3: Because what was she going to do? If Sydney said no you can't have it off. Really. What was she going to do? Right. Anyway. I'm sorry. I let everybody else talk. I've talked enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. No you said a lot of good things.
1: Yeah. Um. Herman, you've
4: been awfully quiet. Do you have an opinion? Uh, yeah, uh, everything Bethany said is uh, completely what I think about the whole thing as well. Because uh, when when you think about how Rachel, I always had the the impression or felt like Rachel took Kurt's spot at Niada. When when she was chosen, and he not, he wasn't. Yes. So because when when you when you think about how Rachel, uh, how how Carmen reacted to his performance, to his addition, how how excited she was, and and then he had, I think he had a quite a good chance to come in, and then in in a whim of a, I I don't know what, so my, my English might might be a bit weird when I, when I try to, um, just in in a in a span of a second she comes in, so at the very last, you know possibility to to get a place and and i always had the impression she took kurt's place because they only take 20 people and and not Mm -hmm. and that's it and then uh she throws it all away she just goes and leaves it and and carmen says think long and think hard before you make this decision and she does it anyway she quits and later on carmen says okay well you can come back so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's
1: maybe a frustration later, though, that it'll, she'll just be like, oh, yeah, Carmen wants me back, when this scene is very much like, she's done. And I kind yeah. of wish Rachel would have been like, oh, maybe I'll start over at NYU, or I'll start over with this, like, other, like, I, I think that her time at Niata should have been done. But again, yeah. to um one of Bethany's other points was that she stalked her way into this school. Like, Rachel mm-hmm. has you know her sights set on one thing and then she'll get that one thing and then realize that maybe that's not like her you know what she wants to do which is a fine mm-hmm. thing. there's nothing wrong with changing yeah. your mind but she does it in such a destructive way and it's frustrating yeah. when the show doesn't follow through on that.
4: She wanted yeah. to get it to Niada to, to have a chance to, to have a good chance to go to Broadway and now she is on Broadway and even in a leading role. So she doesn't need Nyada anymore. So that's why well, she can quit. No problem. She, she's like
3: a child. She wants this one yeah. thing. When she gets it and she's done with it, she throws it away and doesn't realize it's not still going to be there when she wants it again. Yeah. But unfortunately right. in the show, it is always still there.
4: Yeah, and the spoiling never ends. So she gets spoiled until the end. Because it,
3: it's the same thing with Funny Girl. She gets tired of it. She tosses it away, but then she still gets a chance to go back to Broadway. It, she, she's a spoiled child. Yeah, Who mm-hmm. throws her toys, and she does the same thing to her friends. She tosses Kurt away, and then picks him back up when she feels like it, and he puts up with it. And I'm just like, no, Kurt, you need better friends. Well, I miss and her.
2: then they always have her, then they have her apologize, and then they make up, and then... And then they have Kurt makes her
1: up.
3: Again. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, um, let's kind of keep moving forward, because there's still be more Rachel stuff that we can complain uh-huh. about later on in the episode. Thank you for letting uh, me rant. Oh, you're welcome. I apologize for
3: taking up so much. Thank you. Stuff, no, but... it's
1: fine. Like, if you um, ever really want, you know, just uh, uh, the same subject a little bit, um, go listen to Props, the Props podcast. That's where I go off on it myself. Um, and yeah, I think I have like a 20-minute diatribe on there, so don't feel bad. Yeah. No. And I'm sorry, Kelly, were you trying to say something? I didn't mean to step on you.
2: Um, No. Okay. <laughs> I forgot. Right.
1: Okay, so, and then we get into, we kind of talked about this a little bit already, though. The, the, Mercedes talk is talking to her friends, and they're kind of like, they're they're super nice for the crap that he pulled, and basically like, yeah. you know, so this is something you would have to think about, and this is where Mercedes says she just needs some space, and she needs to think about it, that she can't, she doesn't think she, it's a good idea, and... So, yeah, there's that. Um, oh, you're right, though. Um, I Did we talk about the, her asking Sam to move out? Which I feel a little bad about, only in that, I mean, she's perfectly well within her rights to do that. But, like, this is the second time somebody has asked him to move out in a course of two episodes. And, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, they could have, I mean, I don't know how many bedrooms the place has, but I guess he could have stayed with Blaine or something, I don't know. Yeah.
3: Well, in the next scene, Blaine says, we can find our own place, so I she didn't even kick Blaine out. She's like, I think Blaine was like, well, if you have to go, I'll go with you, and we'll find some place of our own, mm-hmm. Yeah. so.
1: Okay, so that does bring us back to, <laughs> yeah, this episode is so weird, and that all of the Sam and Mercedes stuff is in the first 20 minutes, and then all of the Kurt and Rachel and the bashing stuff is in the second half and it just it's weird. But anyway.
2: Oh, and at some point there's a scene with um Blaine and, and Bla and with um Blaine and Sam where he's where Sam goes, It's really hard being a straight white male these oh days. And, Sam, and Blaine is like, No, no, I'll stop, stop about
3: that. Um yeah, that. I think l- that's right before he gets the phone call saying Kurt's right. in the hospital. Oh, right. Yeah. Right.
1: Um so yeah, so we get um this is also kind of weird because the, the scene with Mercedes. Okay, so it's Mercedes and Sam have dinner, and then it's the Broadway baby and the argument with um, Carmen Thibodeau, and then it goes back to Rachel. And, I'm sorry, Mercedes and her friends, which looks like it's the same night. So it's some weird editing. I'm wondering if <laughs> Mercedes and her friends and Sam stuff was all shot as one day, but this Carmen Thibodeau and Rachel stuff was over a course of a couple days. I don't know. It's just so weird. Like I said, I wish I had the scripts because it doesn't make sense, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we get Rachel and Kurt. Kurt's actually waiting for Rachel. Um, Rachel doesn't stay very long, but yeah. Um, and this is where Kurt basically says, look, you know, uh, maybe you want to rethink quitting school. Maybe, you know, trying to give her alternatives. And, you know, he makes a good point. I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. And she acts just like, you know, you don't take risks. And, like, what do you know? You just want to play it safe your whole life. And to say that to Kurt, just.
4: Yeah. it's so You know, it reminds me. Uh, I've been on the podcast of Trio as well. Uh, where, play, uh, where Kurt tries to, to mediate between the Rachel Santana fight mm-hmm. and she calls him Trinita and is so mean to him and this reminds me a bit of that situation in Trio when he, he just tries to be a good friend and to just tell her you're making a bad decision think it over I'm concerned about the choices you make and she's just you know stepping on him she's so mean to him and accusing him of betrayal, and and he's so shocked about it, as I am too.
3: <laughs> well, I but think... it's Rachel's world. If you're not with her, you're against her, and get out of her way if you are. Yep. That's what mode she's in right now.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean... That's what what that's what it comes down to, is that Kurt is, like, you know, concerned about her choices, and if anybody tells her her choices are wrong or not the right ones, kind of the way Santana was, you know, doing the same thing in earlier, you know, during that whole thing, then she gets very defensive, and she acts like a little kid. Like, she stomps her foot and gets angry, and, like, literally, she this whole scene, she sits down, she has a drink of water, and then she's back up getting her coat on again. Um, and the, you know, yeah, it's just frustrating watching Kurt having to play this role over and over and over again where, you know, he's being supportive and he's trying to, you know, help her and, you know, Rachel just, is just not nice continuously. And I guess it just, maybe as a Kurt fan, I'm just tired of watching this scene.
4: Yeah. Yeah, she's not just not nice, she's, she's uh, right right out mean to him. So it's really bad behavior.
1: Well, and it's kind of jarring, really, when he says screw you, which is the, you know, if this was a real life, he probably would have told her to fuck off. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little bit shocking because he doesn't usually push back, but I'm glad that he, you know, does. I'm glad he's yeah. kind of like, mmm, yeah. you can't treat me like that. But, yeah, so her big thing about this is that, you know, Kurt plays it safe by staying in school, which is kind of ridiculous. But, um, you know, this is weighing on his mind. Kurt kind of takes things in, and, and it stays with him. And I do think that this plays into a little bit of, so, the next scene, which in the next scene is... You know, there's these two guys who are beating up a third guy, and Kurt comes in, and he basically tries to get them to stop. And the one guy that was getting beat up, he runs away, and then they turn their attention on to Kurt, and somebody, one of the guys takes a brick and bashes him in the head. And for Glee, it was, it, you know, Glee doesn't do physical stuff like this very often. Yeah, normally
2: it's like like cartoonist stuff, like dumpster, like throwing someone in a dumpster or a slushie. Mm-hmm. Not a brick in the face.
1: No, it it's a very tense scene, for, especially for the you know, as you said, for the show it usually goes cartoony. Um, this is a very tense moment, and and the guys drive away. Uh, luckily, not wanting to make sure that he's actually dead, and curse um, just lying there as as the car rolls away. So,
2: was there any indication that it was it, that it was like motivated by? Homophobia, or anything, or was it just a random guy getting beat up? And... See, and
1: I, that's the thing. They The show tries to frame it as gay bashing. There is one instance where the guy is like going, Oh, flu-. like he's flailing his hands, is trying to. Um,
2: about-
1: yeah, trying to imitate like an effeminate man, but there's nothing specifically in the dialogue. And the, the only reason why they're turning on Kurt is. Well, at one point they say, oh, there's two of them, which is, I guess, supposed to mean, oh, there's, you know, two gay men now. But it's I don't think it's explicit enough. It still feels like, oh, here's this other guy who's trying to help him out. We're going to beat the crap out of him, too.
4: I mean, how should they know that that Kurt is gay as well?
1: But they
3: said in the beginning of the episode, the original person, they just said somebody came out of truck and beat him up. So, like, there was no indication that he was gay when he got beat up. So they're, they're saying it's gay bashing for both. But...
4: You you know, when, 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 Kurt is, when Kurt is running into the alleyway, he starts running before they say it. But um, when they're uh, um, beating that guy, one of the guys says, shut up, faggot. So oh, there is... Some, but, but Kurt is already running into the alleyway when they say that. So he, he didn't know that it was a gay bashing he just saw some guy being beaten up and so he, he ran there so that's yeah.
3: and, and as a person who was formerly bullied I fully believe that Kurt would have stepped in regardless of if he had that fight with Rachel yeah. or not yeah. he, he might not have been like so like uh, but I think he definitely would have stepped in Yeah. No matter what because that's who Kurt is yes. even though stage combat does not help you prepare for a real fight Kurt put <laughs> it yeah. on you for trying though
2: but well, Kurt's always been kind of like red as like before he came out. People knew anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. people just
4: know when they see him. And if you if you think of of those confrontations with with um, Karofsky, with David mm-hmm. when when he just said okay hit me, he was never afraid to, you know when when he's in the in, in the locker. Um, with with the kiss, the kiss scene, he says, "Hit me!" And then the, the theatricality in in season one, when when they corner him uh, in the in the Lady Gaga outfit, he also says, "Hit me! I'm not afraid of you. You can don't can't beat the, the gay out of me, or whatever he says." Mm-hmm. So he's he's never been afraid. He's really been brave. And you know, I, I would have run or would have kept quiet if I was in his shoes. But he never shied away from confrontation. No.
1: Yeah, I think this is very in character for Kurt. Um, I do think, like, Rachel's words were weighing on his mind, but I I think he really would have done something regardless of what had just happened. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like... This is, again, where I say I wish this all had been in the first act. They still could have had Rachel yeah. a quitter show at the very beginning and Kurt being, you know, whatever, and them doing this in the first act. And then you have this whole second act could have been, you know, everybody kind of dealing with their friend being beaten up, and that would have been a stronger episode, but whatever. It's not what we got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So,
3: yeah. That's because, once again, we're glee, and we're trying to cl- cram too many things into the one episode. Yeah.
1: Because,
3: a- as a Blaine fan, you you know I wanted him to sit down and kind of talk to Kurt, because he had already been gay bash. but then again, we're supposed to believe they've already talked to the subject to death, because they've been together for so long. But, like, the Blaine fans wanted that. We wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. Like, we-, we wanted that conversation, we wanted some reaction to-
4: from him yeah and even if if you if you are in a relationship and you've talked over that (laughs) specific uh situation if someone something happens like the 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 bashing of of your neighbor's friends so something happens in your in your close um surroundings or it happens to you like in to to kurt in this case then i'm sure that the discussion would come up again and they wouldn't say oh we've talked yeah. about it a lot they it, they would start again talking about it especially Blaine with with having been in the same situation as curtis now so and this was
1: well and i think there is an interesting story kind of tying this in with what happens next we get Sam and Blaine talking, and as we said before, this is the part where where Sam's trying to belay his issues with Mercedes to Blaine, and he's like, it's so hard being a straight white male, and (laughs) Blaine's like, no, 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 (laughs) no, no. I also like that Sam has a favorite kazoo or something like that. Anyway. um, Oh, yeah. But... They get this phone call, and you see Blaine getting this phone call, and there's this interesting story there that, because this is before gay marriage is legal in the U.S., and that Blaine is Kurt's partner, and as Kurt's partner, because he is same-sex, he has no rights. So, it's an interesting thing. He could have gotten to the hospital, and they said, oh, you're not family, and... It would have been interesting. I mean, there were even stills of a scene that might have been like that. There's definitely, you know, they a yeah, yeah,
2: I do remember something like it. it. was either a promo or there were production stills that showed something else at the hospital mm-hmm. that didn't make the episode. Which they caught a lot.
1: Yeah, which is a shame because, you know, you have Blaine, you know, this is you know, essentially, you know, his life partner here. And he's not allowed in. That is that is a real thing that real couples have to face. And so I think that there would have been an interesting conversation there had they decided to actually show it. But all of Blaine's kind of reactions to this are all very squished in this little section right here. And it's not a whole lot. Um,
3: also, awesome. they gave the line of not being family to Rachel instead of Blaine saying, they won't tell me anything. I'm not family. They gave that line to Rachel.
1: Yeah. So that.
3: Well, I, and I don't,
1: I mean, they did. And like, yeah, they,
3: they could have been any of his friends saying that. Yes. And, but they heard the news just as and they all did. So. Right.
1: Well, but I was going to say maybe they did. I guess. No, not me. I don't know. They do let, they do let them see Kurt before Burt gets there. So
3: in that huge room that five of them could fit in under whose insurance is paying for that.
4: Yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> but but if you if you are in a you know like they are in a city they are far away from their families don't you not, n- usually have a kind of emergency contact yeah, yeah it happens so i could imagine that uh, kurt and blaine are each other's emergency oh, clients, yeah, that's so then yeah. it would make sense that he he gets he gets called so, uh, so they must have the the phone number well, yeah, so. they did
1: that, I mean, because that's what the phone call is. That's the hospital calling Blaine to tell him that his fiance is in the hospital. Like, that's on Kurt's contact. Like, he was the first one, which I'm glad they did that, at least. Um, and so I'm sure Kurt, you know, and then later it goes, I do like the little montage that Sam calls Mercedes, and Mercedes calls Artie, and Artie calls Rachel. Um, and, but, you know, th- just the commentary of the rest of it of Blaine, you know, being Kurt's fiance, it, they just don't talk about it. And I kind of wish they had brought that up.
4: But, but in hasn't New York at, at that point, New York had legalized gay marriage. They might, I mean, but they, but they weren't technically married yet. They were yeah. still No, gay. of course not, but, but still.
3: But they still would have valued their engagement. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. At that point right. in time. Yeah.
4: yeah.
1: Oh, that's true. I don't know the timeline very well, but I just know that it's still, it's still a thing that um, it's still a thing. Had that they been sense. in
3: Ohio, the story would have been very different.
1: Yeah. 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 But they do, I do think like, cause then the doctor comes in and it explains, you know, what is wrong and the, he does let them all see that, see Kurt. So um, really quickly though, I want to talk about this montage real quick because first of all, um, Sam calls Mercedes and I like that Sam's picture is of him as a model on there <laughs> and she's like i just can't do this right now and yet like i love that her picture is of a model um we get a little snap snip, snippet of artie working on whatever film he's working on um poor artie doesn't really get much to do in the new york arc uh, i guess he will in the next episode but um not in this episode uh but he's definitely working on uh something
4: and then it, have, it might be the film that he's doing in the next episode where the girl has to, to talk all the lines.
1: That's true. It could be. Yeah.
4: Um
1: and then oh go ahead, sorry.
4: Yeah, I was done.
1: Okay. I just didn't want to cut anybody off. Sorry. Yeah. Um and then they have um already called Rachel. And I like that Rachel is like this cracks me up. She's like I just don't think Fanny would say this and it's actually cutting lines from the original script. <laughs> in Tech Week. Yeah, in Tech Week. Oh my god. It's play for comedy. I will give her <laughs> like that the, the comedy of that is ridiculous. So But, but yeah. Um so yeah, then we get the scene where they're all looking at Kurt and he's all bruised up and banged up uh in the in the bed. And, mm. yeah, what do you guys think about Sam's comment about he wants to kill whoever did that? I think
3: he's sincere. Sam and Kurt have always had, like, a, a good relationship yeah. because Sam, like, Kurt looked after Sam when his family was, like, homeless and everything like that. He, he, gave, he did originally give him a place to stay in New York, plus Sam's, like, Kurt's going to marry Blaine, so it's like I'm stuck. I like Blaine. Blaine's my friend for life, so Kurt is my friend for life kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think he feels very protective of Kurt, and he like he always has, and probably yeah. always will. Yeah.
1: Oh, I have another question for you guys. Why? It, but this is kind of jumping back to Blaine getting that phone call. But there, Sam and Blaine are in the loft at that point. Do you think they just hang out there when Rachel and Kurt are not there? Or do you think they were like Blaine was just waiting for Kurt to come home, or I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that they're definitely not in the townhouse; they are in the loft. Uh,
4: yeah, maybe because uh, um, Mercedes has always told them he has to move out, so maybe they didn't want to discuss this at Rachel uh, at Mercedes' house, but.
1: I just thought I'd throw that thought out there. I always thought it was an interesting choice of location.
3: They never. I did. just assumed Blaine was waiting for Kurt, and Sam knew that was where he was. He went to go talk to him.
1: Yeah, they yeah. never did make a set for either Mercedes or Blaine's bedroom. They just have the living room side of the townhouse. So. Yep. Um. So yeah. So then we get. They're all around the bed and. You know, Blaine says that he wishes that Kirk could hear him, and that's when Rachel's like, oh, yeah, he can definitely hear you, because Rachel's feeling guilty about all of this.
2: This um, was, That reminded me of Quinn's accident afterwards. She's like, I gotta make it about me. Oh, I feel so terrible. This is my fault.
1: Yeah, that's... I have to make it about herself. I do like that Blaine said, you know, it doesn't matter. He would have done this anyway, basically. He's very nice about it, but it's more of like, it's not about you, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, and then we get, you know, a kind of a cut back and forth between this and Blaine doing his solo. He redoes his Nyata, uh winter critique and is um, not while I'm around. And um, a, in the studio version, it's actually everybody singing, and you can kind of see that um, when they originally shot it that way because when they're leaving, they're all, like, singing. And I'm glad that they made the decision to make this a, – a, actual Blaine solo because I think it's much more powerful being something that Blaine sings to Kurt.
3: I did he sing cool. this live or no?
1: The, in the hall he did, I believe.
3: It's I so good. It's so good. I much prefer this version than the group version. Yeah. Yes yeah, yeah, super- for a lot of- mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I thought I'm sorry was someone else could say something. Yeah, go ahead. Kelly. Um, I thought there were a lot of parallels with grilled cheeses, you know, with the holding hands and oh yeah, you know, I, I she could hear me and you know, just you know, and just the ones you know, the solo, you know, you know, like that. So it just reminded me of that.
1: That's a good point. I didn't think of that, but that's a great parallel. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. I think um. I know you're not supposed to do... Like, in real life, don't do this, but when he um, gets on the bed and he is really up close and it's this very tender and intimate moment and they don't show a lot of those kind of moments um, between any of the characters, really, but especially between Kurt and Blaine. And Blaine is so scared. I mean, he's putting up this front of, like, I'm going to protect you and I want to be here for you, but he is just devastated by this. And scared and it comes out in this song and i i just this performance just blows me away i think it's beautiful and heartbreaking and mm-hmm. yeah but yeah that's my two cents okay so moving on um we get, we get oh sorry what
4: I just said. the next next scene is color colorblind. Colorado, yeah, in studio. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we get Sam and Mercedes deciding that they will. Uh, Mercedes wants to be with Sam regardless of anything I and mean, questionable reasons aside. Um, and then she sings the song "Colorblind," which I'm gonna look that up real quickly to see if it's Amber original. Yeah, it is. Okay. And it's a, again, it's a nice song. I don't like. I feel that because like, did Mercedes really need two solos in this episode? Yet she's been, you know, a season's worth of not having solos. So I don't begrudge her having solos, but um, I don't
2: know. Yeah, that their storyline just. I think well, we talked about this before. Their storyline just felt completely separate from the others.
1: Right. Again, that's and Glee actually goes out of its way to connect its stories most of the time oh yeah i mean definitely new new york stuff all kind of connected and Tess it's gonna all connected and the backup plans <laughs> all, you know all of this stuff is gonna connect and and this one again i'm i still think it was two different episodes that they kind of were like well let's just budget into one
4: it would make sense yeah, yeah.
1: um so yeah the you know and it's a nice song. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. And I don't know if you guys had anything more you wanted to say on the Sam Mercedes front.
2: Well, I, I just had in here. Um, she should not have had to apologize.
1: Right, I agree.
2: And plus, there were probably it was, and, but there. I'm mean, I'm sure that there were other issues that were in the relationship, and this just happened to be. I mean, I think there were other issues in their relationship too, that, and that she brought up that, and you know that you know him being you know, a white man is not, is not really like the, the crux of the it. Issue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, even because like earlier she had mentioned, you know, you dated all these girls. I, you know, I'm yeah. still trying to find my place. I have a lot going on. And I think maybe just the race aspect was the, you know, final, like, okay, this is, I don't know if I can do this right now type thing.
2: I wonder how long those two end up going back and forth. Will Will they just do that for the next twenty, thirty years?
1: Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, well, they're not, not I... even together at the
3: end of the series. He's so. dating somebody else, but still texting Mercedes. So yeah. I don't know if they'll <laughs> ever figure it out.
1: I I still think Mercedes is the type of person, though. When show, whether it be Sam or whether it be somebody else, I think when she gets in like her mid twenties or whatever, she'll be one of those people who says okay you know and she'll find somebody and that will be it and mercedes will be married to that one person and they'll be really cute old people together and have like 10 kids and she'll have she'll still have her great recording career um Where's sam if he didn't get together with mercedes permanently i can see him kind of just going through girlfriends being a uh, serial monogamous, monogamous yeah or, or however you say it um
3: because Isn't Mercedes engaged to some random dude in season six that we never meet?
1: She's not engaged. She does date somebody, but they yeah. didn't get engaged. In the script okay. of the finale, though, um, Sam and Mercedes were supposed to get back together.
3: Um, oh, okay.
1: But they didn't.
3: Um, and, and all the San fans wept.
1: It was weird, though. If you're going to yeah, do all the rest of these happy endings and... Decide not to go there. I I still wonder what their reasoning was for cutting that, but I don't know. Mm
4: -hmm. Especially when you think about how much effort they put in this rekindling of the relationship.
1: Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. Having them break up again.
1: Yeah, and I think part of the reason they even broke them up at the end of season five is they wanted Sam and Rachel for season six. Which, Mm -hmm. ugly.
2: Uh, plus, Sam was going back to Lima, and Mercedes oh, was that's somewhere true. else. So,
1: but I do think the Sam and Mercedes plotline in general was really solid in in this arc, um, and I yeah. do, do think they made a pretty good couple. But
2: yeah, yeah, I always thought they had a ton of chemistry.
1: Mm, yeah, definitely.
4: I always liked the the idea of them as a couple. So, yeah. too bad that they didn't do it in, in, in a different way, so.
3: That's why there's fan fiction. <laughs>
1: fan yeah. Fiction. <laughs> fan fiction.
3: Oh,
0: man. That's true.
1: All right, so now we get... Uh, Bert. Bert. We Yay. get Bert. Right. I know you guys have some positive things to say about this, so.
2: Yes, of course. Well, when he first came in, um, I didn't... Well, when I first watched the episode, I didn't understand that why he was... My initial reaction was, well, why is he yelling? Then I realized, then I realized a few minutes later, oh yeah, he just lost another son. He's panicking. Mm -hmm. You know, he goes, he's, he's in another state and, you know, they just lost Finn and, you know, he's, he's panicking. He doesn't want to lose Kurt.
1: And I, I love that. I love that he is yelling as a parent would yell. He's Mm -hmm. like, why did you do this? But I'm proud of you, but you're an idiot. Um, I mean, I love that dichotomy, but, you know, he, he mentions, you know, I played football and Kurt's like, well, I played football too. And, and Bert still has to recalibrate. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, but you know, he just lost Finn, but also this is Kurt, it's his baby boy. Like, yeah. Okay. Kurt, you know, might've grown up and he can be his own independent self and that's fine. But I think, you know, you are still your child to your parent. So.
4: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and I think there's some time um, has, has gone until he meets him. So he knows already he will be all right. There is not that initial uh, fear anymore to really lose him. So he had a time to process it. He went to a plane. He he flew. I, I don't know how long you have to fly from from Ohio to New York. It's about so had a lot of time. He probably called uh, Kurt and talked to him and, and made sure he's all right. So his fear had a lot of time to morph into anger about Kurt's I, recklessness.
1: I'm guessing he didn't actually talk to Kurt, though. I'm guessing, because this feels like, Kurt's a little like, oh, Dad's here. Like, he's a little woozy and out of it. And I'm guessing, you know, the first person but he called.
4: He probably, he probably called, called to Blaine or whoever. Or Blaine
1: probably called him. Blaine said, hey, by the way, I'm okay. just letting you know. Kurt's, you know, just got in the hospital, and
2: oh yeah, like, I'm sure he called right away.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing Blaine or Kurt or Bert was like, okay, I'm getting on a plane right now. Um, yeah.
4: Oh yeah. So and everything, and everything he says to Kurt is completely uh, right because if you happen to witness a crime, you shouldn't interfere. You should call the police, and don't try to 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 interfere in the into the fight and getting hurt in the process so that's what they call you to do if you happen to witness a crime so
1: yeah
2: Bert
4: is right in calling yeah. him on out on the
2: other hand how long jumping. it's taken somebody to get there yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it takes about um just on my Ma- I'm about I'm farther north than where Lima is but about the same equal distance from from New York City, east and west, and it takes about an hour and a half on a plane to get there. But he still would have had to get to the ho- the airport and go through yeah, the airport right. stuff and get a cab and get over to the hospital and it just all this other stuff. And um, so, yeah, he would have had some time to process it. Um, but, you know, it's it's anger, but it's a manifestation of his fear of losing his kid. Yes.
2: So,
1: yeah. And, you know, I kind of wish we had seen something... Where, you know, I mean, can you imagine Blaine having to call Bert and say, hey, your kid's in the hospital? Like,
3: Mm -hmm. I think he might have asked somebody at the hospital, can, hey, here's his dad's number. Can you call him while I'm sitting with him or something like that? Like, they would have said, hey, can we have his guardian or parent's number and we'll contact them. I don't like Blaine Blaine probably still would have called and talked to him anyway. Or Bert would have been like, "Uh, what do you mean Kurt's in the hospital? Tell me what's going on now, Anderson. But... The hospital probably would have called Bert and Carol and said, Hey, like this happened. Can you get here? Oh yeah. 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 So But I did like
2: Bert's um Braveheart comment, it
3: reminded
1: yeah. me of
2: Finn, like Dave Braveheart
1: <laughs> Oh, when he's just like, uh, uh, I know who I am and he says, Braveheart. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, oh, and I did like also when Kurt um said he he got, I kinda want a scar. He's like, Is that weird? Yeah. Like, that that's oh, Chris Call cool. for
1: 100%.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's not scars no. from because I have a bunch of surgical scars from an accident I was in, and I think they look cool. So
1: I I, I think it's Kurt too. I think it's Kurt. You know, because he says I'm hurting on the outside but not the inside, and I think a lot of you know Kurt doesn't get a defined arc in season five, but I think it's an overall commentary on he has been beaten and bruised and he keeps getting back again. Yes. And the, the scar would represent, you know, I like, I, you know, it's a battle scar. I've been through this, but mm-hmm. as this, like, we'll talk about the end with I'm still here. And yeah. well, I mean, the the timing of Bert saying when Kurt says it's this weird, and he says, yes. And it is a, a little weird, but at the same time, you yeah. need to see.
2: He means it in uh, like a caring way. He's right. like, oh, he, he finds it amusing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I love their dynamic, how they can just be open with each other and say anything to each other.
1: Yeah, and Kurt's not. Um, when when Blaine, Blaine, when Bart's yelling at him, Kurt's like, you know, he can push right back. He knows his dad's worried. Yeah. He knows yeah, how they kind
2: of communicated.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I love that. I think it is one of it remains one of the most realistic and believable relationships on the show. Yeah. Um, so I
2: mean, they both Absolutely. kind of yell and they both kind of like snarky at each other sometimes, but that's how they are. That's like. But, you know,
1: it's from a wrong place of pairing. Um, what do you guys think of Kurt's last little bit of lines where he says, I finally figured out who I am, I'm your son? I, 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 I do not like
4: it. it. It's it's I, the it's being weird. man talk again that yeah. we have several times in the show making someone a man or showing him how to be uh, a man, yeah. or whatever. So it goes well, in I that,
3: think that they brought that up as well because, like. I played football, so did I, as a kicker. He still played football. It doesn't matter if he was a kicker or not. Like, he's, he can still defend himself. He is still a man regardless of what position he played or if he didn't play football or not. It's like that whole be a real man, like kicker's not a real position, blah, blah, blah. All that, all that BS that we had to go through before, I, I don't like it rearing its ugly head here. And I I don't think that line fits in the narrative they were going for, I guess. I don't know. That's just how I feel. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Me too.
1: I guess I, I feel like it doesn't fit because it doesn't feel like, I mean, yeah, it's part of the icky be a man trope that the show really kind of was steering away from, especially after the passing of Finn, but every once in a while rears its head. But at the same time, I don't think it makes much sense.
2: Yeah, no, it doesn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, I know who I'm supposed to be. Okay, who is that? Um, who, who does Kurt want to be, guys? Like, uh, Gabe Braveheart. Gabe Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh yeah, I don't know, but yeah. Otherwise, it's a great scene. I love that scene. Yeah. Okay, so then we get the scene where. I, yeah, Blaine meets Kurt. Kurt's just gotten out of the hospital and they're going to go lay flowers down on the sidewalk. Um, What do you call them? Memorials, which you don't really do for living people, but okay. (laughs)
3: Like maybe he was like tentering and they thought like, oh, we'll put this there just in case or like send out those positive vibes. So he gets better. Like, I don't know. Wouldn't you send it? It
2: would have been better. Like if someone's in the hospital, I mean, maybe like bring flowers to the hospital. Not. Yeah,
3: I, I, I guess they put it there because that's where he got gay bashed. And like, if he had died, I understand you leaving it at that spot. But yeah, no, it doesn't. It does not make sense. Well,
1: and Blaine's lines are looped. Um, they're um, they are over. Oh, what's the word called? Um. There a uh, voiceover that was obviously put in, like uh, you can tell that he's not talking when Blaine says the line that he's going to be okay. Um, uh, so it was definitely put in as an after the fact. I think the play, I think that it was uh, it left ambiguous, and they originally just had you know Kurt and Blaine walk over there and they laid down flowers and that was that. And that would have been a very poignant and very, you know. It's still a nice moment for Kurt and Blaine, but I just think it's a little weird if, you know, he was okay.
2: Yeah, that does make me think that they, originally he was going to die. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Um, I do like the moment for Kurt and Blaine, and there's this one still, it was not actually used as a shot in the the actual episode, but there's a close-up shot of Kurt and Blaine kind of holding each other, and, and Blaine is still just kind of scared and kind of, like, holding on to Kurt for dear life. And Kurt's kind of defiant and sad. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. And I wish they'd used that shot in the episode, but...
2: Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah.
1: yeah. So. But, yeah, I think the crux of the scene still has that sentiment between the two of them. Um, and I, I think it is nice that it's just the two of them. I mean, this is not something that Rachel or Sam are going to understand fully. So it, yeah. And it makes a nice moment between the two of them. I do wish there was more to them having any kind of discussion post Kurt getting out of it. Yeah. The- oh, sorry, Kelly, what? No, I was just with okay. you. Um, yeah, I, I wish there had been more. I wish there would have been more of Blaine's reaction in general. Um, but... There's only 42 minutes, and yeah. So. Okay, so then we get they're back in the loft, and Rachel comes in to apologize. Ta-da! All right. What do you guys think about Rachel's ap- apology?
2: How many times has she done this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, once every five episodes? I don't
3: know. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: I, I do pizza. like that Kurt
3: threw her words right back in her face.
1: Yeah, we, we yeah we, it says I was like uh, taking risks. You know. Drive that guilt in. Just turn the knife. Well, and he, you know what I think is fascinating about this episode, and really when you watch the New York arc, I really like encourage people to go back and watch the Rachel and Kurt dynamic. He doesn't really let her off the hook as much as he says you know, we've had worse fights and uh, I love you too and everything. He's not really in a great place with her. <laughs> um, I don't know.
2: Well, he's kind of like his, I think, again, he's kind of like his father in that way. Like, he's, he's blunt with people he cares about. He's yeah. not like, he doesn't, like, he'll say exactly what he's saying. He's not in a mean way, just right. how it is.
1: Right, exactly. Um, and and yeah like and plus i'm sure also he's probably still in a lot of pain i mean like oh yeah uh, good lord so um but does Rachel learn anything from this not really she's still going to go and be Rachel um moving forward um so then we get the rest of the monday okay no so it is monday night again i guess cuz they you know are having dinner again <laughs>
4: Oh, what was that? No, I just agreed with you. Okay. It's money. When mm-hmm.
1: you guys say yes, sometimes it kind of blips out, and I can't tell if oh. I'm trying to say something, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, you know, and I'm going to... Okay, so there's this moment where Blaine comes in, and Kurt sees Blaine, and I know this got criticized a little bit. I'm going to defend it, because when Blaine comes in, Kurt is actually happy to see him, and Blaine comes in, and then when his attention gets turned when mercedes and sam gets in get in but there's no like people were complaining that blaine or sorry kurt was cold to blaine during this episode and i just don't see it like i don't see it here i don't see it in any of it i don't know i don't see it no
3: there's this and there's another scene right after kurt's solo where it looks like Lane is going in to, like, I guess, give him a kiss or just, like, nuzzle him or something like that, and Kurt, like, kind of turns, but it's not him stubbing. him. I think that's just Darren improvising and Chris didn't know, and that was just the take oh, they yeah. chose to use. Exactly. Like, it's not Kurt being cold. It's just Darren tried something. It didn't work. They kept that take. Who cares?
1: Exactly.
3: They probably had very tender, hurt comfort sex after yeah. everyone left. Don't <laughs> worry, guys. Lane is fine.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, and that's I was gonna yeah I'll bring that up now too um there, that scene like I watched it like three or four times They're like, really Kurt's like Blaine helps him off the piano Kurt beams at him and then Darren as the actor moves in to improvise something and Chris turns his head because Rachel said something or somebody said something doesn't even know that it's happening and then he looks back at Blaine and he's all smiles again there's nothing there it's not even I I, I think at this point in production they were doing, like, one or two takes and then using that. I mean, I don't think they were doing a lot of takes, and so they don't have a lot to choose from. So they chose that one because if it wasn't fandom, nobody really would have noticed. It's kind of like when yeah. um, in, in the New Directions episode when Naya bashes, you know, Darren in the face. Like, that's in there. Uh-huh. You can see it. And it's because they only used, like, one or two takes or something, and that just happened to be in the background. I think that's nothing more than that. So. Also, yeah.
3: logically, Kurt just got beat up with to the face with a brick. I don't think he wants anybody touching his face in any way, shape, or form at that point
1: anyway. <laughs> Not when there's a lot of people around. Um.
4: Yeah, he's surrounded by people who talking to him, who are who congratulating him for his performance and everything. So, of course, he's distracted because everyone comes up to him. And so it, it makes sense that he isn't just focused only on, on, on Blaine.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Oh. So. so anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there because, like, there's a lot of commentary that Kurt is distant or cold during Blaine during this stuff, and I just, I guess I don't see it. I, I, it's nah. something I'll talk about more in another episodes, too, but, I yeah, to this one, no, they're fine. It's just they don't have a lot of screen time together, so. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the rest of this Monday night dinner, uh, Mercedes and Sam announced that they're together, and, like, Kurt, if all people, this line would have made sense more from Artie, I think, where they're like, yeah, I don't, it's all been weird, but I don't really see, none of us really saw any chemistry there, Mm
3: -hmm. um, I always took that as it's because Mercedes always went to Kurt and saying like, oh, I don't know if I like Sam or I don't like Sam or blah, 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 blah. And he's oh. so tired of it. just like, oh my God, just <laughs> you think <of> your
1: mind. <laughs> that could very well be. I, I could do yeah. that. So. Um, yeah. And then, oh, they do make it a mention where Rachel's opening night is in two weeks. So we know that opening night happens two weeks after this. Um, and then we get... Kurt's solo, which is I'm Still Here, and it is uh, Kurt's first solo and last solo of season 5, and his last solo on the series. Really? Also, yeah.
4: yeah. Oh! I wasn't aware of that. Yeah.
1: yeah. I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. It is. It is. Um, okay, Bethany, I'll let you start, because you, you groaned, so.
3: Yeah, you and I have talked about this one before, um this song uh I think Elaine Stritch kind of claimed it as her own and if you've watched Sondheim's birthday concerts which you can find on free, for free oh, on YouTube then I they have
2: mean, watched them.
3: Oh yeah I've seen They're that. amazing. But she kind of said in one of them that nobody under 40 should sing this song so I like, remember I that. Always I always love to that. know what she thought of this 20 something year old gay guy singing it. But again Kurt has gone through a lot in his life so he has Kind of that world weariness, but not really. But my main issue is that that he doesn't do a good job. He does is that he mispronounces words and they left it in, and <laughs> it words. annoys
1: me to no end. Well, do you want to explain which words that he mispronounces? Yes,
3: because in the song it says, and I'm not going to say because I can't. It says, "Sorry, I thought you were who's it," like who's it, but he says Woo's it? and I'm like, "Oh no, uh-huh. no." no honey that's not how it's pronounced and why did nobody tell him that's not how it's pronounced and why did they leave it like that and I don't know how big of a Sondheim fan Chris is so like if he's not I can understand but Kurt would not Kurt Hummel yes. would not have been it, it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that Kurt's an Elaine Stritch fan so he would have Yeah he watched the concert
2: well, and I mean, have to the concert
3: it, it just annoys me it's us. a good song he does a good job aside from that one little line and it annoys me every time <laughs> and I'm just like why Uh no
1: um, no, yeah, you but can, I do, oh, I ahead. do like Christmas. This is kind of, um, okay, so going into this, I'd never heard Elaine Stritch's version of it. And I think Chris does a great job. I love his voice. I think he does a very solid job on this song and really kind of, you know, makes it his own. But then if you go listen to Elaine Stritch do it, you can kind of understand what the song is really the, the gravity of the song the weariness of being around for a long time and just yeah being been through a lot in a way that you know no matter what if you're 22 you're not going to have the same kind of feeling as if you were a weary 80 year old and yeah. I you know so it's not I don't blame Chris for it I don't blame the production for it I think this song is very much in something that Kurt would sing I think that um, it's very much a good and solid song but it just lacks the the gravitas that like Elaine Stritch brings to it but yeah I mean, I it's, it's, yeah. yeah as much as we see that you
2: know Chris is an 80 year old woman and he'll say that too but you know, technically he's not a, yeah it does kind of show
1: yeah so then that's just the performance aspect of it uh, you know it's kind of funny I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly and I could be totally remembering wrong Chris did his own choreography for this one they kind of just let him do what he wanted which is why we get a lot of the kind of usual uh dance moves and the shimmy and I do appreciate that he ends up in the on the piano at the very end of it I think that's yes. fantastic um, and I do think the sentiment of, I'm still here, I've been through all of this, you know, and you're not going to keep knocking me down, I'm going to keep getting up again, I, I do think that is really good for Kurt's character, I think it makes a strong. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. Um, I do, a couple of little things, I do like that Blaine is sitting at the family table with Bert. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that Bert singing the words along is adorable. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Um, it's kind of funny. Already Kevin McHale's not actually there. They have a guy in a wheelchair sitting off to the side, but you can tell it's not Kevin McHale. Um, I don't know why he wasn't there. Um, but, but you know, who else was there? Uh, Chris's boyfriend, Will, was actually in the scene in the background. Oh, yeah. So he's there. If you want to play where's Waldo or where's <laughs> <laughs> he's back there um but yeah so. and that kind of wraps up the episode unless you guys had anything else that you wanted to touch upon anything in, in your notes that no I, everything i've got i don't know about anyone else okay awesome mm. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for being here. It was an awesome couple of hours that we got to talk yes. about this episode. And, you know, even though it's probably on the, near the bottom of my favorite of the New York arc stuff, I still think it's a good episode. I think it's entertaining. There's some really funny moments. There's some really good moments. Um, when it does things right, it does things really right. And I think it's worthy to be in this group of episodes, especially from having a, a rocky couple of seasons before that. Um, the New York art continues to be a breath of fresh air so
2: mm-hmm. yes
1: yeah. okay well I want to thank you guys for being here and join us next week when we are going to get into some muddy waters with Tested and we'll see you next mm-hmm. time see you next time
0: make me feel so young You make me feel like spring has sprung Like the way he's speaking His confidence is peaking Don't like his baggy jeans But I'ma like what's underneath him and Love is a battlefield I'm almost through